throughout the week, we, we talk about the, the sermon text throughout the week, and one of the common themes is usually, how do you make that a children's sermon? Occasionally, you hit texts where, where the pastor looks the, at the text and says, how do you make that a sermon? Oftentimes, uh, the work of a pastor is to kind of get the, the intellectual understanding of the, of the passage through so that we can, we can better apply the text to our lives. And, and, um, and sometimes, it, you know, once you explain something to people, you, you get the sense that, ah, I've done my job, and, and, you know, people can go out and take this text and apply it to their lives. Today, we come on one of uh, Jesus' parables as Pastor Dean introduced it to the kids, and as I was reading, I thought, well, Jesus gives the summary at the end. It's, this is going to be a two-word sermon. Be alert. Have a good day, folks. <laughs> and it's that realization, oh, <laughs> wow. Mercy. <clears throat> I'm glad she was paying attention. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's just, Hallelujah. No, I, she's used to the old church where, you know, people got used to me wanting people to talk back. And so, uh, you know, we, we, we have these moments, and, and, and what it comes down to is the realization that, that not every biblical passage is an intellectual exercise. Some biblical ca- passages need more than just our intellect engaged. It needs our heart, our soul, and our will engaged as well. And we come to one of those passages because it really could be, be prepared have a good day. But it's more than that. We're coming up to a passage here in Matthew 25, if you want to start turning your Bible to, to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, that, that has a lot to do with end times, but it also has a lot to do with the way that we live our lives now. And so the, the main idea here is to be prepared, to be alert, but we need to talk about uh, what that means, why that is important for right now, and then how we can actually live that preparedness out in this moment. So, so what is the parable saying? Why is that important future preparedness for the future important for now? And then um, how can we live that out? So Matthew, Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Hear God's word. At that time, that is at, in the end days, Uh, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. Wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is God's word. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, in coming to your word, we realize how difficult it is sometimes to even understand what's going on. We, have, we are so far removed from the time and the place that we struggle to make meaning. And so during this time, we ask that you would open our minds and our hearts so that we could hear what your word says and to obey, to live lives that are lived in the realization that you will come again. Help us to consider what that means and strengthen my words because our mine are empty. They're just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, as we look at this passage, you may have a number of questions. I know that I did. As I approached this text, I, I thought, Jesus, you were not thinking of the preacher when you gave this parable. But there are three things that uh, this passage teaches us about being alert. One is that the kingdom will come. Two is the importance of readiness. And three is how to practice that readiness. So the kingdom will come, the importance of readiness, and how to practice then that readiness. So, okay, what does this parable have to say? Because there is some cultural translation that has to go on here. Because lamps and weddings are just not things that we usually think of as going together, do we? None of us thinks, I'm going to a wedding, where's the lamp? So, in order to get through that, we, we've got to do a little bit of cultural translation here. In Jesus' day, it was a custom, as a part of the, the wedding party, to have uh, maidens as a part of that wedding party. So, what would happen is, the, the groom would go and he would <clears throat> negotiate, make final negotiations with the bride's family. That would happen at one home, and the bride would be at another home, and what would happen is the groom would come to pick up the bride after negotiations were concluded, and I know all of you are going, oh, that just sounds wrong. Bear with me here. And what would happen is then these ten bridesmaids, virgins as our text puts it, maidens in other translations, what they would do is that they would have then torches, the translation is lamps, but it could be torches that they would hold up as this wedding party made its way from the groom picking up the bride to the wedding hall, the wedding banquet. And of course, wedding banquets, your sensibilities are all going to go from ooh to ooh. And real quick here, the wedding banquet was seven days long. It was a feast. And there would be food, and there would be wine, and there would be celebrating seven days long. See, I told you to go from ooh to ooh. And so the point of this wedding party, the point of the, the bridesmaids having these torches is to basically, it wasn't functional, it wasn't to, to say, oop, look out for that rock there, you don't want to trip. But it was a way of alerting people that there was something really important happening. There was something really amazing happening, and these two are the center of it. 
take a look at it, because they were holding up torches. And so imagine, you know, 10 torches or five torches around this couple. And you're thinking, wow, that's really dangerous. But wow, that's really quite amazing as well. I wonder what is going on. And so the point here is of the bridesmaids, <coughs> they had one primary job here. And that was to make much of the bride and groom. To point all of the town's attention on this bride and groom that were going and celebrating for the first time their marriage with one another. That was their one job. Point to the bride and groom. Light them up. Make them look amazing. And so that was, that's kind of a little bit of background to this parable. <clears throat> and you may be saying, all right, that, that kind of gives me an idea of what's going on here, but what else is going on? Because it just seems odd. Well, here's the rub. The, the, the maidens, the, the virgins, they didn't know what time the groom would come because negotiations were, well, negotiations. Has anyone followed C-SPAN and watched Congress negotiate? that bad. And so the, the, there could be an approximate time. Uh, the wedding is going to happen today, but I don't know exactly what time because I have got to haggle with the father. And so it could be six o'clock, it could be nine o'clock, it could be midnight. But be ready. There's a waiting that goes on as all of this, uh, uh, even though they have this one job to make much of the bride and groom. They've got to be prepared for, for whatever happens that day, for whenever the groom comes, for, for whatever weather, for whatever circumstance is happening. They've got to pay attention and be on their guard so that when the groom comes, they're ready to go. Now, these, these torches that they had. I wanted to bring a torch up here, but I just decided it wouldn't be a good idea. These torches would have been rags soaked in oil and then wrapped around a stick. Think of the, the torches that you see in any sort of movie that has anything before electricity. It's that sort of torch. And most scholars agree, uh, in fact, this is pretty much universal agreement, that those torches couldn't last for much more than 15 minutes. So you're waiting for someone who may be coming for hours and you've got a torch that lasts 15 minutes. And so you've got to do some planning ahead. You've got to figure out, that, you know, this isn't just going to Giant Eagle and back to get some groceries. This is, I'm going over to California for three weeks. I, I've got to make sure I've got some things together. And in the background, the, the oil... Uh, the oil sellers, anytime they knew there was a wedding going on, they would stay open all night long because they knew this about torches. They knew this about the customs and the celebration. And so as, uh, uh, as a part of that job, you had to be ready for kind of whatever eventuality happened. Starting to paint a little bit of a better picture. Well, why wouldn't they just have their 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 minds focused on that fact. Why wouldn't they, knowing that, that they need to be prepared for any sort of length of time, why, why would 
why wouldn't they be ready? We talk about the fact that they're maidens, they're bridesmaids, they're virgins. Weddings in those days were opportunities for families to make matches as well. And being a part of the bridal party, being a, one of those bridesmaids, meant, meant an opportunity to interact with potential husbands. And so there was a little bit of tension that was going on because you were supposed to make much of the bride and the groom, but there was a great opportunity to make an advancement for yourself. You could easily have a divided mind in this, in this moment. It's one thing if, if we're not worried about necessarily if we're looking the best, just good enough. And that's what these women, young women were going through, would have to go through. I want to make much of them, but I also don't want to miss my opportunity here. And so you have a parable about five wise bridesmaids who are able to make much of the wedding party. And that's why, as we go through this, you know, the, the hour comes when the groom is coming and the foolish bridesmaids are saying, hey, give us some of your oil. We've run out. <coughs> and the, the wise ones say, no. Otherwise, we might run out along the way. Otherwise, we might not be able to fulfill our job of making much of the bride and groom. If I give to you, I might not have enough, and we might be in the middle of the procession, and everything goes dark. And we cannot let that happen to the bride and groom. That would be actually a, 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 a form of shame. That would ruin the party. Just take the rug right out from underneath it. And so it was far better to have five torches that made it the whole way than to have ten that just kind of fizzle out midway. Have the bride and groom looking at you saying, you had one job. You all failed. So what is Jesus teaching us here about the end times, the, the coming of his kingdom? And, and why is that important for now? Like I said, the, the first thing he says that is that the kingdom is in fact coming. And we need to be aware of that fact. We live our lives coming and going. We make our plans. We make our arrangements. We have our calendar. We try to figure out, you know, Katie and I were trying to figure out what meals we were going to have for this week. And, and we make those plans on the assumption that I have all week. We make the plans under the assumption that, that we control our time. But really, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we know that the kingdom will be coming. So why is that important for right now? Why is that important for right now? Uh, let me ask you, uh, how many people in here have some form of an insurance policy? All right, good number of us. How often do you think about that insurance policy? <laughs> you know, I think about my, my life insurance policy once a year. It's when the premium notice comes. I don't think about it any other time. You know, I don't think about my, my auto insurance until the premium comes or until someone else gets a little too close. But, but the reality is ins insurance is there to protect against something, but it really doesn't make a lot of difference 
on my life. You know, I have life insurance. I didn't go and buy my life insurance policy and go, I'm going skydiving now. It'll all be okay. And too often, I think faith becomes a bit of an insurance policy for us, for some future eventuality. We're looking and we say, well, you know what? Faith will be important when. But the reality is, faith is important now. Because as Jesus has taught us through the Gospel of Matthew, life in Christ, life in a relationship with God means radical dependence on God. And that means radical dependence on God right now. You know, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, talks about it in, in these terms. He talks about it, you know, living in sin, uh, living a life that is embodied in sin, and living a life in Christ. And he said, you know, that sin, that is the thing that, that cut us off from our source of life. That is the thing that destroyed our relationship with God. That is what has led us to death. That's what's led to the brokenness in this world, to the fear, to the anxiety, to the death, to the destruction, to the war. We died to that. How is it that we could live in it any longer? <coughs> Why would we want to live in it any longer? <coughs> Whereas when we are raised with Christ, when we are brought to new life with Christ, we are transformed. The old order of things is pushed away and the new has, is brought to fruition. And there is a good life, a life that is free of fear, that is full of peace and joy and loving kindness. There is a security, there is a generosity, there is an abundance, there is an overflow that is in Christ. So why is it that we would want to continue to live in the ways of the world, in the ways of sin, in the ways that we have known, and not turn to the ways of Christ? Excuse me. <coughs> and that's the question here. What, what importance does readiness have for us now, you know, the five foolish virgin, virgins were concerned about their own lives. They were not living lives that were making much of the bride and groom. They were concerned about their own way of life. They were concerned about what was going to happen to them. They were not concerned about making sure that everyone paid attention to the bride and to the groom. In our lives, the question is, what are we making much of? Are we making much of ourselves? Tending to our fears, tending to our anxieties, tending to what we want for our lives, what our hopes, what our desires are, how we want things to pan out for this week, how we want things to pan out for our children, how, things we, want, how, things, uh, how we want things to pan out for our parents how we want things to pan out for our neighborhood or for our friends? Or are we concerned about, how, about making much of God? Are we concerned about bringing His glory to the fore? Are we concerned about the things that God is concerned about? Are we concerned about the mission of God 
and the ways that the Holy Spirit is operating in our lives, in our, in our neighborhoods, in our friendships, in the lives of those around us, to highlight those things and to make much of the work of God in our lives. There's a fundamental difference. One is very neocentric, and one is very theocentric, centered around God. And what this parable shows us is that if we are so concerned about the things of this world while we are living our lives, <clears throat> then we will never make it over to making much of God. Throughout Scripture, the Lord gives grace, so many blessings and wonderful things to His people. Through Christ, we are taught that that grace abounds and we are taught that, that we are able to, out of the, the overflow, we are able to share with other people, that we are to take care of one another, share one another's burdens, that we are to have joy, peace, that we are to live in the fruits of the Spirit. But there is one thing, one thing in Scripture that God never shares. God never shares His glory. God never shares his glory with anyone else. It's the first commandment. You shall know other gods before me. And when we attempt to make much of ourselves, we attempt to share the glory. Look at what I did. And, and we have that, that need to be accepted and we we think we want people's acceptance, but God is standing there saying, I have accepted you. I have received you, and now I want to make you as I created you to be. It's out of our fear, out of our anxiety, out of our own selfishness that we, that we make much of ourselves. And yet we are called to make much of God. Just as the bridesmaids were... Uh, we're called to make much of the bride and groom. And so there should be a transformation in our life away from ourselves and to God, recognizing the grace of God and giving Him the glory that is due, recognizing what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Not just in some future date, not just when we die and, 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 and not just, you know, like a fire insurance policy, but right now making a difference here every day. God desires to transform and to have his glory realized in our lives. That's the importance of readiness. If we're concerned about our glory, then we're not going to be attentive to giving God glory. So how do we practice that readiness? Like I said, we make much of our life. Who is going to take the credit for that? Who is going to get the glory? Who is going to have the torches all around them saying, look at me? You know, that's, that's the question in this, and it's not a call to be obnoxious or to be ostentatious or to, to be really demonstrative. You know, I, I tend to be an introvert, which is really funny. A lot of pastors actually tend to be introverts, which is really funny because we have to get up in front of people. And then after we get up in front of people, we have to talk to people. And then we've got to get calls from people and, and, and the whole nine yards. 
And so a lot of times, uh, you know, as a lot of times if you, if you feel that introvertedness, if you feel that in any way, shape, or form, you can get really nervous when, when um, you have to, to talk about something. And not every way you talk about something has to be large and demonstrative. In quiet, subtle ways as well, we can give God the glory. Hey, you did this really well. You know, thank you. I appreciate that. I give thanks for the ways that I can, uh, can help out. Quiet, subtle ways that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to say, that, you know, you don't have to, to um, finish a paper in school and then, you know, shout out the window, woohoo! Hallelujah! I'm done, and God has given the glory. Especially if you get a D on that paper, then, you know, that's <laughs> not a good idea. But we don't have to be exwardly, externally demonstrative, but it means living a life, having an attitude of gratitude, having that graciousness towards God and what He has done for us in our life throughout everything that we do. You know, in my office is, uh, are two of my, uh, the, the two degrees that I got from one from Gordon-Conwell, one from Baldwin-Wallace. I always said I wanted to go to big-name schools, so I made sure there was a hyphen. <laughs> but the question is, when I look at that, am I proud of my own achievement, or am I proud of the story of God's grace and God's glory in throughout all those things? When we see those things that remind us of our achievement, do we recognize it as, I have done that on my own, I've pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, I have done whatever, or do we recognize that as a gift of God and give credit and glory where that is due? Like I said, it doesn't mean being obnoxious or demonstrative. Sometimes that's humility. We don't take the credit and we're okay with that because we value God's glory over our own. It, it means sometimes patient, knowing that our timetable, the, the timetable we're working on isn't our own. We can wait, and it's not an imposition when God doesn't answer our prayer right now. Do we think about that? Lord, I want this to happen, and I want it now. And that's difficult in the midst of praying as we have done week after week for people's healing, for people's uh, welfare, Lord, why don't you just do this now? But to have the patience to say, God, you see far more than I do. And in that knowledge, I will find comfort and I will find peace and I will allow you to be God and me to be a creature. Or another way to say that, I will allow you to be creator and me to be creature. There's a, there's a peace, there's a patience in that. And this is the, the, a peace and a patience, a humility that comes through being prepared. Knowing that we have one job, the Westminster, the shorter uh, catechism says, what's the chief end of man? It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This parable is just that. Make much of God and, and enjoy Him forever. When we understand our purpose, we can go about our other tasks as they are, secondary tasks, 
and attribute to God all the glory and recognizing that he accepts us in Christ. So there we have it. The kingdom comes again. It is important to be ready. And we should be practicing that readiness even now. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. It's one thing to confess with our mouth that that you're coming again, but it's an entirely other thing for us to live as you are coming. So help us to realize this, this scripture in our hearts, to be moved by it, and to live lives out of the acceptance that comes through Jesus Christ, to be transformed into the way that you would have us be. Help us to strengthen one another as we go about that journey. Because that's a difficult one. But you have given us each other and to spur one another on and to encourage one another. And to help one another grow. And it's each until we reach our day in Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.